Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. How are you doing? I'm Josh, and uh, Pastor John has asked me and allowed me to be one of the teaching pastors. So I'll be speaking once a month, every month, and uh, hopefully you'll get something out of it. So um, the guy in that video that's driving, he's actually a graduate of Hope Center Ministries, is on the call team, and um, I just love seeing that. I got a quick story I want to tell you about some guys that were in a Hope Center, and I want to move in today and talk about running yellow lights. But this story applies, and it's going to kind of open up and set the stage. My hometown is in a place in the state of Tennessee. Um, I'm from a little place called Waverly, and I'd moved to Dixon, Tennessee, and still had an office in Waverly, but living in Dixon, driving home one day from the office, and I notice there's a 15-passenger white van that's off in the ditch. In front of the van is a lady with three little kids. The lady is running around her car. She's screaming and crying, and it looks like she's driving some type of old Subaru or station wagon. And cars are lined up behind that passenger van. It looked like one mile. That's on the left side of the road. I'm coming the right side of the road. And I can see all the cars lined up. And I thought, who are these? What has happened? And who's this person that's got traffic backed up? No police had arrived yet. So as I'm coming down the road, I notice, wait a minute, I think that's a Hope Center van. And then I thought, oh, Lord, I hope not. I thought it looks like one. And sure enough, one of the guys in the program, I know him, he's the sheriff's uh, county over. He's the sheriff's son. He's in our program. His name's Brett. I see Brett driving or trying to drive the vehicle because there's two guys on the back of the vehicle standing on the bumper. Vehicle's up in the air. Picture this. And they're jumping up and down. And as they put weight on it, it'll come down. And when the tires hit the road, white smoke goes everywhere. And then they go back up. It looks like a seesaw. And Brett's in there. He's never letting off the gas. He's got it wide open. I thought the engine was going to blow up. I look at him. He looks at me. At the same time, the tires catch. They come out of that ditch, swing the vehicle around. The guys go flying off in the road. And Brett throws it up in park, and he's staring at me. And I went, pull over at the appliance store. Y'all go to the appliance store. I just park off in the grass and run back up to the appliance store because I'm not going to be able to get over. I go up there, and as I go up there, he's pulled in. The lady in that Subaru, I guess it was, she now is in front of the appliance store right there at the entrance. And there's one of the guys, and he is cussing her. I would say dog cussing her. Do y'all know what that means in Oklahoma? That's an expression we use in Tennessee. I mean, he's going off on her, and she's crying, and she's yelling and screaming, and, and I finally just said, hey, time out. We're not having this. You're not going to talk to her that way. He says, I'll talk to her however I want. I went, no, really, you won't. And I said, you need to go get in the van. He said, I'm not going to get in your beep. I can't say that in church. Hopefully, I wouldn't say it outside of church. I wouldn't, by the way. He said, I'm not going to get in your van. And at this point, I mean, it's getting rough. So I look over at uh, Brett, and I'm like, <clears throat> you know, help. And two big old guys come over there. They look like the biggest that was in the group. 
And they're just standing there. And I said, put him in the van. And they grab them by each arm. One grabs the left one and they pick them up. And you've seen it in the movies how two guys are carrying somebody. He's still facing me, cussing me out. They're facing this way, carrying him in the van. And he just starts going nuts. He goes into a panic. He finally wiggles. Somehow he gets loose, runs into the appliance store, locks the door. And then he's looking out of the appliance store and he's on a cell phone, which means he has stolen somebody's cell phone. I thought, oh my goodness, Channel 4 is going to be here in a minute. The police are going to be here. This possibly is a hostage situation. I mean, he's locked the door. And, and I just looked over at Brett and I said, Brett, how long has he been in our program? And Brett goes, he's not in our program. And I said, what? He said, no, he owns the appliance store. He's the, the owner of the appliance store. And I go, but he's out here cussing the woman. He's yelling, it's none of your business. He goes, no, 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 no. She's crazy. She locked her brakes up in the middle of the road. That's why we ran off in the ditch. We almost hit her. She's either mental health issues or on drugs. I don't know. Her kids are crying. None of them are in the car seat. Have you noticed that? They were all up on the dash when she locked up her brakes. The baby's crying. And it's a mess. And he said, she parked right here in the entrance. Nobody can get in his business. And he was saying, this is not your business. And that's why he was telling her to go on. He said, she's nuts. Somebody needs to call the police. And I went, well, then why did y'all pick him up and try to put him in the van? And one of the guys spoke up and he said, hey, Pastor Josh, I'm on 16 years community corrections. If you tell us to put the guy in the van, I'm putting the guy in the van because I don't want to do anything to get put out of this program. He goes, I will say, it felt really odd trying to kidnap the owner of the appliance store. But I thought, he's my pastor and I trust him. I go, guys, get in the vehicle and go right now. Go, go, go. Take the back roads all the way home. I, I literally cut off the highway. I'm taking the back road home. I called my wife, told her what happened. She's like, well, why didn't you go up and explain? I go, I don't know. I just panicked. I thought, we almost just kidnapped some poor soul. And all he was trying to do is get a crazy lady to quit blocking the entrance to his place of business. Mistaken identity. You ever done that before? You ever got it wrong? Have you ever misjudged somebody? You thought you knew what was going on or you thought you knew who they were and then turns out you, you don't know what's going on at all. I think when we talk about mistaken identity, I think oftentimes that's what we do with the person of the Holy Spirit. And when Pastor John said you were in a sermon series called running yellow lights, I got to thinking about that and I thought, you know the number one thing in my life that keeps me in check? Because that's what yellow lights do. They're there to check you. They're there to say caution. They're there to say slow down. They're there to say you need to pay attention. Out of anything that I could preach on about how not to run yellow lights to prevent life's crashes, I'd have to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Because I've never had anyone, nor has there ever been anything that has helped me like he has helped me. But oftentimes when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit, there is my mistaken identity. Just like I mistook, I, I was mistaken. I thought the appliance store owner was a guy in our program that was out of line. Actually, those guys were great. I was the one out of line by trying to kidnap that poor fellow. But I just had a case of mistaken identity. Oftentimes when people refer to the person of the Holy Spirit, they refer to him as what? An it. And they act like 
we're in a Star Wars movie and he's the force. You know, when they talk about the force, the force is not a person, but the force is something you feel. The force is something you can tap into. And we treat the person of the Holy Spirit like it's the force in Star Wars. And that's got to grieve him. That's, that's got to bother him because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when, when God's creating, he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. I got a question for you. Who's the us and who's the are? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That's what John said in 1 John. And for some reason, we treat the Holy Spirit like he's junior partner. We have no problem talking about God. If I said, I worship God, you'd say, amen. Probably most of you, if I said, I worship Jesus, you would say, amen. If I said, I worship Holy Spirit, you'd go, eh, it's a little weird. Sounds a little weird, feels a little weird. Why? If they're one, if they were all there at part of the creation, why does that feel weird? Because we've made him the force like from the movie Star Wars. I'm here to tell you he's a person. And I want to tell you five things to prove his personhood. Number one, he speaks. He speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. I remember the first time the Holy Spirit ever spoke to me. I did not grow up in church. Uh, I'd never read the Bible. I didn't know basic stories like David and Goliath or Jonah and the well. So when I got saved, everything was new to me. Matter of fact, the night I gave my life to Jesus was the very first time I'd ever heard that he was God's son and that he had died on a cross for my sins. First time I ever heard that I got saved. And all this stuff's new to me. And I remember one day, some friends of mine, they're engaging in what I would call locker room talk, just bad talk. And they're talking about a subject. And one of them asked me a question and I went to engage. I went to speak. And I literally remember hearing a voice on the inside of me, not audible, but just as real, say no. And I thought, what was that? Like, what just happened? And I went to speak again and I heard, no. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. I didn't know what was happening. I, I knew that I just heard, I believe from God, but I didn't know you could hear from God. And I, I didn't know what was going on. I called my pastor that afternoon. Can I meet with you? He said, come on by. Told him what happened. And he looked at me and the first time I've ever heard this, he said, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And I said, holy what? He actually said, as I remember, he said, it was a little Pentecostal church. He said, the Holy Ghost is speaking to you. And I remember going, a ghost spoke to me? And he said, you've got a ghost living on the inside of you. It's the Holy Ghost. And I went, what? And he began to talk to me for the first time in my life about the person of the Trinity, the person, the Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity. And he said, Josh, he wants to speak to you about a lot of other things as well. And he began to say a few things to me. He said, he's always speaking, or at least he speaks a lot. We're just not always listening. 
And he said, if you will listen, he's going to have a lot more things he's going to want to say to you. And whatever he hears from God, that's what he's going to speak, Josh, because he is God. And he started explaining these things to me. And it was true enough, he would start speaking to me about giving. I started learning that he, his voice, the way he speaks, it can come in a still small voice. Remember Elijah? And he's trying to hear from God there at, at the mountain. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, what? Uh, wind came like a Oklahoma tornado and it tore the face of the mountain off. And then the earth shook like an earthquake in California. The ground moved everywhere. And then fire came out of heaven, and I have nothing to compare that to because fire just falls out of heaven. But the Bible says God wasn't in any, in any of that. But then it says God came and he spoke to him in a still, small voice. We have an English word for that, whisper. And I've thought about that passage often, and I thought, you know why many of us don't hear the still, small voice of God? We don't hear the whispers of God? Because right now, Austin's right there. And if I started speaking to Austin without this mic and I started whispering, would he hear me? Did he hear anything I just said? No. Matter of fact, the only way Austin will hear me is he's going to have to come up here and what? Get close. You know why a lot of us, we're not hearing the whispers of God? Because we're not close enough. But if you draw near to God, he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. In other words, if I start getting close to God, God's going to get close to me. If I move in my prayer times and start carving out time to speak to God, to acknowledge God, God's going to speak back to me. But if there's a distance in there, it's not that he's not speaking. It's just that I can't hear him because he's calling me to get closer. Here's the, the second thing I learned about the person of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just speak, but I learned this. He grieves. He grieves. Um, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need or bringing grace to those who listen. Can I just stop real quick? Is it helpful? Is it helpful? Does it impart grace? If it doesn't, you probably shouldn't say it. We probably say a lot of things I know I have in my life that I probably just shouldn't have said. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, outcry, and slander, along with every form of malice. He said you can grieve. That's an emotional response. The Holy Spirit feels. Why? Because he's a person. He feels, he grieves. The Bible says that he can be made sad. That's when he grieves, it literally means you're making him sad. He's hurt. And oftentimes when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I've heard people refer, man, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I knew God was angry with me. The Bible doesn't say when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he's angry with you. The Bible actually said he's grieved, he's saddened. Why? Because in James 4, 5, it says, he yearns jealously within you. And that jealousy is not a bad jealousy, just like not all anger is bad anger. Jesus got angry and turned the money changers' tables over. Did he sin? No. Was Jesus without sin? Yes. His anger was a righteous indignation. In other words, he was angry about something because it was right. The Holy Spirit is not jealous in a sinful way. He's jealous in the fact of when you're going astray, 
In that same passage, it says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. It literally says, you're in a marriage with Christ and it's like committing adultery on him when you and I get into sin. And the Holy Spirit, he's not a partner that is jealous in, a, in an ungodly way. He's jealous in a godly way and that his jealousy is because you're straying off and he wants to protect you and he wants you to be safe and he wants to keep you in the confines of God's will so you can be blessed. First time I ever remember realizing that I'd grieved the Holy Spirit, I was in a movie theater and I'm watching this movie and it, and it takes the Lord's name in vain. I kind of feel sick to my stomach it happens again, same feeling, third time. I feel that and the Holy Spirit whispered to me. I was just getting called to preach. And he, and he just spoke to my heart and he said, your anointing will be in proportion to the holiness you choose to walk in. And I grabbed my fiance's hand, she's my wife now, and I said, if you don't mind, let's go. And that was the first time I remember feeling the Holy Spirit was grieved in me. I literally got a mental picture of him being saddened or grieved. I saw someone in a corner in a fetal position. I saw somebody hurting. I remember with some dear friends of mine, a drunk driver came into their lane of their daughter and their son-in-law and their grandbaby, and she was pregnant with her uh, second grandbaby. And that grandmother's Daughter and son-in-law and grandbaby and grandbaby-to-be were hit by a drunk driver in the little town I'm from. And I knew the boy that hit him. I knew him from school. And he was drunk and passed out. And when the car hit, they all died and he lived. And when I heard about it, I went straight to that grandmother's house. I knew her well, core member of my church. And I remember her husband said, she's over there. And she was in the corner in a fetal position, wailing and crying. And I'd never seen anybody grieve to that level in my whole life. And that's the mental picture I got when we talk about the Holy Spirit being grieved. He sees everything I see. He hears everything you hear. He, he, every thought that we have, everything we see, every action we take, every word we speak, He's present. God is present with us all the time. And the message I'm bringing you isn't a message of condemnation. I'm not trying to beat you up. That's something personally he's convicted me over. I'm not going to argue with you about that. But I would say that he wants to give you convictions. There are things that you're going to look around and go, there's a lot of people in church that do this and they don't think anything's wrong with it. But God's personally going to convict you about it. You're going to feel the grievance of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And that's him saying, I got a better way. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit grieve before? Have you ever felt that lack of peace? You ever felt that conviction? Have you ever felt something's wrong on the inside? Have you ever felt him grieve before? Raise your hand if you have. Here's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, no, no. He's trying to say, don't do that. And it's not because he's an angry God, it's because he's a loving God. It's not because he's trying to get you, it's because he's trying to protect you. Listen, if Christ died on the cross for our sins, if he became sin for us, if he took our place, do you really think he's an angry, bitter God looking to judge all the believers? No, he took judgment upon himself, but he does want you to know this, when he's grieving, it should grieve you as well. 
when he's grieving, he's trying to get you on the right path. And if you're not careful, you'll, you'll block that grieving out. You won't pay attention to it. You'll push it aside. And if you push it aside, and if you push it aside, and you push it aside enough times, over time, guess what will happen? I won't feel his grieving the way I used to feel it. I won't feel his conviction the way I once did. You go, how do I get that back? Ask. Just repent and ask. And he'd gladly bring that back in your life because he loves you and he's for you. But that was the first time I ever felt, you know what? God's living in me and God has feelings. He doesn't just speak, he feels. Third thing that I learned about the Holy Spirit is he teaches. Look at this verse with me, John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. I felt called to pastor a church and, and I had all these feelings of inadequacy because I had a very, very rough past. I was a full-blown drug addict when I gave my life to Christ and uh, I'd done horrible, horrible things from breaking into homes to pushing drugs on other people to robbing stores, not with a gun. It's a long story. I won't go into it. But we'd even broken into churches before. I was a horrible human being. I was as lost as you could get. And so even though I know Christ had forgiven me, I found it really hard to believe that he would use me to pastor a church. I thought, I don't, you know, I think, I think his grace is going to get me into heaven. But I don't think his grace is probably going to let me pastor a church. But he called me to pastor. He called me to pastor. And I remember I thought, well, I need to go to seminary. I think seminary is a good thing, by the way. But the Lord spoke to me. I remember where I was. I was sitting on a bench at a gym. And you go, you went to the gym. I worked out all the time. I still go to the gym. Well, I go past it. A little Mexican restaurant on the other side of it. I don't stop, but I do pass it about three or four times a week. And, and I'm, uh, I'm sitting there on that bench and I'm praying about going to seminary. My father had now became a Christian. And he said, son, I want to pay for you to go, which was a miracle in itself. And the Lord spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me on that bench. And he said this, you're not going to go to Bible college. And I thought, well, Lord, how will I learn? And he said this, I'll never forget it. Because I felt like he said, what will you get there? And I said, well, I'll get a teacher, I'll get books, and I'll get a classroom. And I literally got a mental picture of this little room behind our sanctuary. We only had like two rooms and a little bitty basement area. I mean, our church could sit about 80 people and we could park about 30 cars. But I saw that little room and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, there's your classroom, the Bible, that'll be your book, and I'm going to be your teacher. And so it just so happened that my boss had came to me. It was winter. We did seasonal work. We'd work six days a week, 12-hour days. But every winter, we would get laid off for about 11 weeks. And he said, hey, we're going to have to do that early this year. I hope you guys have saved up. It's break time. And eight hours a day, every day, I'd go in that little bitty room and I'd read my Bible. Now, here's something you got to know. I'm illiterate. I did not learn anything in school. And so I had a hard time even reading, more or less understanding what the Bible was talking about. But, but little by little, the Holy Spirit began to teach me, began to lead me. I've got a friend, listen to this. You go, well, I'm not called to pastor a church. How's this apply to me? I've got a friend that was promoted to VP of his electrical engineering company. 
And they would go out and work on these pipelines and the wire would run for miles. And I really don't understand all they did. But what I do know is he said, do you want to know how I got promoted? He said this one day with tears in his eyes. And I go, how? And he said, the Holy Spirit. And I said, man, that's awesome, brother. He goes, no, you don't understand. Let me tell you something. He said, I was sent out to figure out where the wiring was disconnected. There was a problem in the wiring on this job. Problem is, there was a whole mile space where it could have been separated. I'm explaining it to the best of my ability, okay? I don't remember, his, the way he used it was a lot bigger than the way I'm using it because I don't understand all that stuff. But he said, I got out there and he said, after two days, I realized I'll never find it. I realized when nobody else could, this is gonna be a massive project. They're gonna have to dig up the whole thing and redo it. He said, as I'm walking back, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you haven't asked me. And he said, I thought, could God, I mean, isn't God concerned about bigger things than my job? Could God, and he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to him again and said, you haven't asked me. He said, okay, Lord, I'll ask you. And he said, he just felt like the Lord told him to worship. So he said, as I'm walking back, because it's about a mile, I'm just worshiping God. And he said, I'm walking, I'm worshiping. He said, I'll never forget the Holy Spirit said, here. He said, I took one of those little flags, I put it down, I called the team out, they began to dig it up, they found it in the exact spot where the flag was. He said, my boss wanted an explanation. He said, I couldn't give them one. He said, it became every time they had a problem they couldn't figure out, I would get sent. And little by little, I got promoted and promoted and promoted. And my friend was very, very wealthy. He was one of the biggest givers in our church. And he said, what people don't understand is this. I didn't get promoted because I'm the smartest. I didn't get promoted because of my skill set. I got promoted because I pray and obey. I got promoted because I depend on the Holy Spirit for everything, not just for Bible reading, not just for church. I depend on him for raising children. I depend on him for how to love my wife. I depend on him for wisdom in the workplace. I depend on him for everything. And I remember thinking that day, well, I'm gonna do that too. And I did, I, I did it in business. There's a couple little rentals that I bought. I owned some rentals on the side and starting out, I didn't know what to do and I'd just be praying all the time and I'd feel the Holy Spirit prop my heart. And before you know, I found somebody that owner finance and being about a boom and I'm just telling you this. He said in that passage of scripture, not that he would teach you God things, not that he'd teach you the Bible. It said right there, he will teach you all things. Whatever it is that you have ignorance in, whatever it is you lack understanding about, the Bible said he'll teach you all things. We ought to rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, John 14, 15, and 16, probably in those three chapters in the Gospel of John, more is said about the Holy Spirit than any other you know, group of chapters that I know of in the whole Bible. And one of the things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said, I got to go. But if I go, he will come, the comforter. And it is to your advantage that I go, because if I go, he comes. Now think about this. Jesus Christ, the son of God, who's been walking on water, raising the dead and doing all the miracles that he did. He says, you'd be better off without me. Be to your advantage. And can I tell you why you'll be better off without me? Because if I go, guess what? He's gonna show up and he's gonna benefit you in ways that I never benefited you. It's gonna be advantageous for you. 
And you go, Josh, I don't get it. If, if, if God is going in the Son, but God is coming back in the Spirit, why is the Spirit more advantageous than the Son? Because one walked beside you, but the other one's going to walk with you or inside of you. One was literally living and breathing beside you, but you could be separated, right? But the second that was going to come, he would live in you. There'd never be separation again. I don't care where you go in the world, he goes with you. And I don't care how many believers there are, he's with every one of them all at the same time. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once in the person of the Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to me. He wants to, through his grievance, he wants to convict me and guide me that way. He wants to teach me. Here's another one. He wants to befriend me. He wants to befriend me. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. That's where it means it is to your advantage. It's better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And I just told you why. Because comforter, you know what? If you look that word up in Webster's Dictionary, you know what it means? It means one who gives comfort or aid, one who befriends. And, and here's what I want to say to you. The Holy Spirit wants to befriend you. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, because I came out of a very rough background, all my friends were lost. And I'm trying to win them to the Lord, but I got to be honest with you, the more I hang out with them, the more I backslide. And I had this moment where God just spoke to my heart and said, give up the places you go, give up the friends you have, and get into something to do with me seven days a week, every week. And that was the only way I could stay sober. Because trying to be around all my buddies, um, man, I would do good for six weeks and then I wouldn't do good for three weeks. And then I would do good for three weeks, but then I wouldn't do good for six weeks. And my first two years of my Christianity, I do not have a very good testimony. Horrible track record. But about two years in, the Lord dealt with my heart, give up all your friends. And I remember thinking this, I'll be lonely. I won't have anybody. And I remember the Spirit of God speaking to me saying, how can you be lonely when you're never alone? And I remember thinking, Lord, I'm going to need you. Because on Friday nights, I didn't have anybody to hang out with. I'm a part of a little 60-member church. We don't even have a youth group. And I don't, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I'd have been in the youth group anyway, but we didn't have a youth or a young adult ministry. Everybody in the church was probably over the age of 60, except a couple of guys, but they were all married with families, and they didn't have time. And so I had nobody that was a Christ follower that I knew anywhere near my age or even single. And so I started building this deep relationship with the Holy Spirit, literally to the place, guys. I remember I would just on Friday, I had nothing to do. So I'd just drive. I used to drive the back roads when I was lost. So I just started driving. And I'd be talking to God and God would be speaking to my heart and I'd be worshiping. And I remember one night I, I, I literally found myself in another state and I started laughing. On that drive back, it hit me. I feel like God is literally sitting in the chair right beside me. I'm not alone. I'm not the only person in this car. I have as much fellowship. I have as much relationship with anybody I've ever had in my whole life. You know how close you can be to God? Close as you want to be. You know, there's times in my life where I felt like literally 
It's like the Lord is so real to me. He is more real than any person I've communicated with that day or that week or that year. And if I'm honest, there's been other times in my Christian life where I have not been in a relationship with God that I need to be, even in ministry, even pastoring a church. I pastored a church for 16 years. I'm still in ministry today. I serve a bunch of pastors. And I can tell you this, there's been times where I don't hear from God. I don't feel God. I don't sense his presence. I don't feel like we're really close friends, but it's not his fault. I know it's my fault. I get too busy. I get too preoccupied. I get to doing a bunch of stuff for him, like this lady in the Bible named Martha, that she's mad at her sister Mary because Mary wants to just sit at at Jesus' feet and just spend time with him. And she's busy doing all this work for him. And she's like, why don't you correct my sister? And he said, because she's done the greater portion. In other words, Jesus is far more concerned about the time you spend with him versus what you're actually doing for him. If you're doing stuff for him, but you're not spending any time with him, he's not happy with that. That's not what he's looking for. He befriends you, and I'm gonna wrap it up right here. Number five, he empowers you. The Holy Spirit speaks, and he grieves, and he teaches, and he befriends, and lastly, he empowers The Bible says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You know, you go, Josh, if the Holy Spirit came to give us power, and I think this church may be a Pentecostal church, and if it is, there's diverse people in here from different backgrounds, but For some of you, you'd be like, when I think of the Holy Spirit, I think of a good church service. I think of power to have emotions and feelings and touch my heart and break bondage and give me breakthrough. And and I'm not saying all that's not true. I'm just saying when the Bible talks about power and the Holy Spirit, he didn't mention any of that stuff. Can I say, I do believe he does all that stuff, but that's not what he mentioned when he said power. He said power to be a witness. Do you know the average Christian today has not witnessed anyone in the last year? Do you know the average Christian today has never won anybody to the Lord in their entire life? Do you know the average Christian today doesn't invite anyone to church anymore? Do you know the church in America statistically is actually on the decline, not on the incline? Do you know 90% of the people in church today are there because someone invited them and said they would sit with them? 90%. It wasn't a billboard. It wasn't a commercial. It wasn't a card in the mail. It wasn't a track. It was a friend. It was a neighbor. It was a coworker. It was somebody they knew that said, hey, want to go to church with me? And yet very few people do that. In the 60s, there was an article written by the New York Times that talked about something that happened in Brooklyn. A girl by the name of Kitty, Kitty, Kitty Genovese, was coming home from work. It was early in the morning after 1 a.m. There was a serial killer in that day running around and that same serial killer attacked her. Stabbed her twice. Lights came on in all the apartments. One guy yelled out, leave that girl alone. 38 different people witnessed that man attacking that young lady. That man ran off up the road, jumped in his car for whatever reason, he waited. Nobody else knew that, but he waited. And Kenny 
Kitty, she was struggling, so she walked and fell, walked and fell, but she finally got around to the back of the building. When everybody noticed that, one by one, they cut their lights off. After about 10 minutes, the man noticed no sirens, didn't hear any police coming. None of the lights were on. So he went back to finish the job. This time he raped her. She didn't get quite in the building. He raped her and then he stabbed her more. Lights went back on around some other neighbors on the backside. This went on for 38 minutes. It was 38 minutes in when somebody finally called the police and that was around the time that he actually left. They didn't catch him on that night. Matter of fact, when they got to Kitty, Kitty was already dying and she died in the ambulance on the ride there. And the New York Times said, why? 38 different witnesses. Later it said they exaggerate a little. Can you believe the news would exaggerate a little? But there was still a bunch of witnesses. It created the biggest um, psychological social experiment that has ever taken place in history. And out of that, they came up with something called the bystander effect. The bystander effect states this. When everyone sees that everyone's responsible, then no one feels accountable. The problem with the Great Commission is it was given to everyone. And we often, we know that, and so we don't feel accountable as one. I got a friend, because some of you go, well, I'm not a theologian, or I don't. The Bible said he'll give you power to be witness. You know what the word witness means? One who gives testimony. You don't even have to know a bunch of scripture. People can argue the Bible with you, but let me tell you what nobody can argue with you, your story. Can't nobody argue your story with you. Can't nobody argue how Jesus Christ has changed your life, how he saved you and forgave you and what you've experienced. Some of you go, I just don't feel comfortable. You don't know, you don't know. And you've got all these reasons why we don't share our faith. A guy named Bill, and I'll wrap it up right here. Bill was a big old guy. He was on the power team. Anybody remember those guys? Ripping license plates and bench pressing and breaking blocks. And Bill, um, I didn't meet Bill till later on after Bill had went through something, but Bill told a story. And Bill's story was, I had a little girl about this tall. I, I had seen her once and met her once, but, but I didn't realize all that had happened until later. But that little girl, everywhere her and Bill went, Bill was from the city. They would literally say, wherever they were around people, she would look up and say, Daddy, you want to tell them or you want me to tell them? And he'd look at her and say, Honey, you want to tell them or you want me to tell them? And she'd say, Dad. And people would go, Tell me what? And that little girl, about six years old, would go that Jesus died and that he loves you and that he wants to forgive you. And then it would open the door and they would share the gospel. She got a, a unique form of leukemia. And it happened fast and it came hard. And after months of chemo, she died. It didn't even take a year. And Bill told the story. I was there when he told this story. He goes, I want to share something I've never shared. It was the day my daughter died. They had taken her down in the morgue. It was in the bottom of that big old hospital. And Bill said, can I see her one last time? And the nurse said, I'll take you down. And he said, I pulled the sheet back. I'm looking at her and he said, that nurse lost it. She just broke. He said she couldn't even stand. She fell to the ground weeping and she kept saying, why God, why? He said, and I looked at my little girl and I said, honey, you want to tell her or you want me to tell her? And he said, well, I said, honey, you're in heaven so you can't tell her, but you can watch daddy do it. 
He said, I put the sheet back over my little girl and the nurse said, tell me what? And he said, right there, I witnessed to her and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. You know what I've learned over the years? If a six-year-old can tell people. Bill said when she was in the hospital with leukemia, when she was hurting so bad, she would tremble and cry. And he said, people would come in and, and it didn't matter who came in the room. If she didn't know him, he said, she'd look up at me in the middle of her pain. And he said, sometimes she could barely get it out. But as she'd say it, she'd smile every time. She'd say, daddy, in that hospital bed, she'd say, daddy, you want me to tell him or you want to tell him? If his daughter could ask the question at six, if she could share her faith, if a grieving father could share his faith, if this uneducated country boy can share his faith, then all of us are without excuse. Yeah, he comes to befriend us. Yeah, he comes to teach us. Yeah, he wants to speak to us. He wants to empower us. Because without Christ, people don't go to heaven. Without Christ, people don't have the power to change their life the way they know it needs to change. There's something out there worse than cancer. There's a disease called sin, but you and I know the cure. Are you gonna tell them? Are you gonna live in the bystander effect? You're gonna, you're gonna hope it somebody else tells them. You're gonna put it off on some, or are you gonna tell them? Would you close your eyes and pray with me real quick? Hey, Father, thank you for this church today. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you for the person of the Holy Spirit and all you do in our life and all you wanna be to us. Let that be so. Let it be so today. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.